0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Speaker, Wade Cook. <laughs> <laughs> welcome there.
1: What a talented group. They thought about that five minutes before service, our pregame, because I had the streams to the Olympics. I always wanted to be in the Olympics, but if you've ever seen me play basketball, you know there's no way that was ever going to happen. So that's as close as I'm going to come, and that was beautiful. Thank you for It is amazing to be here. My name is Wade Cook, and this is, of course, my lovely wife, Debbie.
2: Hi, everyone. It's great. Uh, You may be wondering what we're doing here. And as Brian and Dessa shared about just a little bit, we just had a job change. Wade is now the VP of U.S. Operations for Hope Worldwide.
1: (laughs) That sounds way more impressive.
2: (laughs) Sounds very awesome. You know, Robert and Michelle have been working with Hope for about a year and they were doing about three different jobs. They were trying to figure out all of the admin part of it. They were working on a global scale with all of our efforts overseas and they were working nationally trying to get all of our chapters coordinated and they just thought maybe three jobs is too much. Maybe we need to hire a little help. So that's where Wade and I come in. And we're going to start working with all the chapters, including the ones in L.A. Yeah. We had a fantastic dinner last night with some of the HOPE leaders. And wow, are you guys doing some amazing things to help the foster families here and the poor around around your communities. I'm just so grateful for all of you. And I just want to say a special Thank you, thank you, thank you for all the work that you're doing and all of the ways that you contribute to Hope Worldwide. You are just amazing people and some of the very best people that I know. Thank you again so much.
1: You know, uh, this is, uh, as as Dessa mentioned, and I'm so grateful. These are our little uh, cookies. Those are the three girls, and uh, Deb looks just like today is Deb's birthday. And... uh, (laughs)
2: 29 again. 29, again. <laughs> that's right.
1: So enjoyed it. And uh, it, it's just a blessing. The greatest thing that I get to do is be a Christian. And uh, the second greatest thing I have it's in my life is to marry this wonderful woman whose life has changed my life. And uh, we are on the adventure of three girls, uh, 19, Mackenzie in the middle, is in, uh, in college, and then Chandler and Alexis, all disciples. As I said, when we left home yesterday, they're all disciples. So we're hoping. <laughs> but... Uh, not God, But they're, they're, they're great kids, and, uh, and we enjoy them so much. Uh, we do have the opportunity to work for Hope. And uh, Hope, I don't know why I said that. It is such a great privilege to be able to uh, connect with some of the greatest people in the world. And, uh, and I wanted to give just a brief announcement that uh, in December, December 3rd, that's Saturday, uh, we're doing for the first time across the United States these volunteer conferences. And uh, they'll be for the chapter leaders, for anyone working with Hope. But anyone who's ever volunteered, it's just going to be a time, a Saturday afternoon, lunch included, of uh, training, inspiration, kind of sharing best practices. And uh, across the L.A. basin, I know there are a ton of different projects. So This will be an opportunity to connect, but really want to encourage you uh, uh, to come. And I know there'll be some folks from Arizona. Uh, So that's open to all. December 3rd, Uh, more information about that. And then, what's that? You'll be You'll be dead? Oh, 2106, oh, see, that's the sharpness. I was seeing who would actually notice that. Not that that was a mistake on my part, but uh, that's what happens when you do this before coffee. So yes, we're gonna have a preliminary one 2016, just so, and then 2106 will really be the big one. So uh, tell your children. Thank you so much, Clay. You know, Brian uh, mentioned, I was going to say this, that uh, it is such a pleasure. We've known Brian and Dessa for for obviously many, many years. But coming here, I realized there are so many more of you as well uh, that we connect to. We knew Clay and Lynn way back in Colorado Springs days. I know the uh, Peckmans, Catherine and Dustin are here. Uh, We knew the uh, uh, Deb Babysat Catherine. Uh, the Plymels married us uh, going way back. I know the, uh, so there's so many, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. It is like coming home uh, to family. And, uh, and as such, Clay can scream out, hey, you got the wrong date because we're family. <laughs> that, that's beautiful. So, uh, so 2013. And then a shameless plug, you want to, yeah, why don't you? Oh yeah, I'll
2: just throw this one out. You may be alive for this one. Next Labor Day, (laughs) (laughs) we just wanted to throw out there that Denver's hosting the family conference next Labor Day, September 1st through 3rd, and you're all welcome if you'd like to come.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, uh, I wouldn't be a big, what's that?
2: I'll let you.
1: Okay, I'll take it from here. Uh, There's a video, how many of you were at reach? I love my wife. Happy birthday, we should. Can you join me to sing for her real fast? Happy birthday to Wasn't it an incredible time? You may have gotten to see the 25th anniversary video, and uh, I wanted to share it. Brian gave me permission to share it to all of you to let you know what's going on with Hope and realize this is the 25th year we as a fellowship started this phenomenal uh, organization and uh, launching into the next 25 years, I wanted to share this video with you.
0: today we march on. In footsteps far too large to feel Christ's precept we follow still, and so we march. We march rhythmically to the sound of South Africa's earth-shaking drums. We march through the meditative mountains and into the earthquake marred Nepal in hopes to help some. We dance through the rice fields with the street children of Cambodia and into the luscious island that's given the world the gift of lumpia. Philippines and Indonesia alike. Waters have risen and winds have stricken, but the smiles and spirits of those people, that's what gives us reason. Reason to brave a clinic for the poorest in La Paz, Bolivia. Reason to educate in the slums of the colorfully textured India. Reason to dance compa and eat banan fui with the orphans of Haiti, or share aguacates and churros with the brilliant future of Mexico City. So we march. For 25 years we've marched. Through 60 countries we've marched. But this is just the start. Check your heart. Is there adventure still beating? Is there life and love and passion yet? Then arise and let's go. There are still too many needs to be met. Christ still commands to remember the poor. So how much out of your heart will you pour? I echo the melodious voices of pain and joy alike of 25 years and speak from the well of decades of captured tears. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was a refugee on my knees and you gave me my feet. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a drowning addict and you wouldn't let me sink. I was a stranger and you invited me close. I was an orphan and you gave me my home. I was a widow and you showed me my groom. I was sick and you mended my wound. I was homeless and you helped me to cope. I was hopeless and you gave hope.
1: Amen. I mean, that's a powerful video. And for me, it does remind me of two things. The first is I do care. I, and I bet you do as well. You want to reach out. When you see those refugees in the water, you see those children, you care. And you want to serve. And I want to encourage you to act on those passions and support hope by participation with financial gifts, with prayer, of course. But recognizing as well, and the second thing that reminds me about that video, is my favorite thing about HOPE, H-O-P-E, is the P. It's not an organization, it's the people. Helping other people everywhere. And there are people in desperate plight, financially, politically, uh, all over the world, but there are people in desperate plights spiritually, relationally, right outside these doors, in your neighborhood. Those are people that we are also to bring hope to. And every one of us is what I love the the guy saying there, hope to a generation. You are the reason. You are in someone else's plan of salvation. God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And he doesn't need us, but he uses us and allows us to participate in the advance of the gospel. And you are part of someone's plan. Will you open your eyes and your heart to those people around you, certainly around the world? And if you have opportunity to travel, support, pray for hope, man, 25 years of incredible impact on the world is amazing. We're looking forward to 25 more and to have a spiritual impact. One of the things that I like about um, uh, traveling around and speaking in different places is one, to see what an incredible kingdom we have and so many amazing people, and not the least of which, I I wanted to say Brian and Dessa, are some of the most kind, thoughtful, gentle, kingdom-minded people in the world. And you have the privilege to be shepherded and ministered to by some of the very best, along with the eldership here, and, and it's a privilege to come and be reminded of that. And also that the Holy Spirit is speaking. I don't know your situation. I don't know you. I don't know the fight you had last night. I don't know the situation you have. So if I say something that, that, that marks with you or triggers you in some way, resonates with you in some way, please understand that's not Wade speaking. That's the Holy Spirit. Brian and Dessa did not send me a, hey, say this, say that. So, this is an opportunity. I really pray you will recognize the Holy Spirit speaking, not myself. I have no idea. I'm just going to throw it out there and we'll see what the Lord does. Amen? Amen. Let's continue with our worship and prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for a body that's all around the world. Thank you for putting it on Douglas Arthur's heart, I think in 1989, to preach a sermon that started a revolution in our fellowship of churches. Thank you for the the, the hearts of the Gimpels to begin and put their life's work in 1991 towards hope. And as we remember Nelson Mandela and Michael Jackson and all the dignitaries that uh, have been attracted to hope, we, we, we remember the hundreds of thousands, dare I say maybe the millions, more importantly around the world that we've been able to touch, pray for, Help and God for those that have become Christians through many of our hope works all around the world. Father, we want to praise you and thank you for that. And we pray that we would glorify you and be led by you into our next chapter of the next 25 years. But Father, we also want to uh, sit now as Christians and listen to your Spirit. I ask that you would speak through me as we go in just a little march through your word. Father, do speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, meet our needs. Only you know what every single person in this auditorium needs. And God, we put ourselves and our, our, our time in, your Bible, in Bible studies, and it is your Bible, uh, in your hands at this moment. Lead us, we love you, your sons, and we pray. Amen. Amen. I know as much as we want to do good, Satan wants to do the opposite. And one of the most uh, important, I don't know if it's important, one of the most impacting tools that he uses, is fear. And that's going to be our main thing today. Uh, this is the thought, do not fear. Uh, I've said before, I think the most disobeyed scripture in the Bible is do not worry. That's not a suggestion that Jesus gives us. You realize that? It's a command. Do not worry. I think it's the most disobeyed passage, in the, in, and this is how it comes out. That most of us don't just worry in a vacuum. We worry and it comes out in fear. We viscerally react. We say, no, I won't. I can't do that. Or there's someone that we should share with. We don't. For fear of a reputation or a reaction or a thought, fear is pervasive in our fellowship. And not just in our hearts, But in, and I won't go on a long tangent at all, but man, we are imbued with fear. And it holds back the passions that many of us have to do good, to step out. As the commentator said in the video, there's there adventure left in you. Amen. Yes. Yes. You said Jesus is Lord, not just so you can come to church in midweek and give a little money once a week. You want to change the world. You still want to change the world. But what's holding you back? What is holding you back? Sin, Maybe. I would dare say the fear of being open is maybe greater than even the sin. Insecurity. I would say a greater challenge is the fear of being exposed or rejected in some way or criticized because of our deficits. Fear is huge, and we need to address it and attack it in a great way. Bertrand Russell said, Neither a man nor a crowd nor a nation can be trusted to act humanely or to think sanely under the influence of a great fear. This is a powerful emotion fear. It's a powerful act. That it's, it, and there are right ways that we should fear. If there's a dog coming at you with, with you know, salivate, you should fear that. If you're standing on a cliff and you might fall over, there's a, a healthy amount of fear. So there is a healthy amount of fear that it resides in, in our human experience. That's not what I'm speaking to. Please be wise, teenagers. Don't do crazy stuff. A little fear will help you. <laughs> but in those places where there should be faith, that's what I'm speaking to. Yeah. We cannot be trusted to be our very best selves if fear is a dominant force in our thoughts, in our minds. Even when you open the scriptures, do the, does the Bible change you? What do you fear? I did this poll. It would be interesting if you asked yourselves, what do you fear? And uh, I I had um, asked, I'm going to look for my little notes here, Uh, zero to seven-year-olds. I went down to Kids' Kingdom. I said, what do you fear? And uh, the predominant answer was what you would expect, snakes, spiders. Uh, One little girl, six years old, said uh, being bitten by sharks. (laughs) Uh, There was a girl, eight, who said she was fearful of the Internet. It's like, really, I mean, she's she uh, so much stuff out there. And she has heard from her parents, you know, garbage, garbage, garbage. So she said, her, I'm, fe- I'm fearful of the internet. Like there's maybe, a, again, a, a rightness, but darn it, you know. The, again, we're, that, that fear already in her head. Uh, I asked a different group, 8 to 35-year-old, what are you fearful of? Up to 35, so these are, uh, that's a wide range. Uh, being alone, grades was in there a lot. Uh, my parents dying. Uh, I fear getting into college, or they won't get into college. Uh, I, one of the one of the kids said Michael Jackson. I fear, I'm like, <laughs> all right. So I, <laughs> I just wrote that in there now. But uh, I, I don't know what you meant by that. But anyway, uh, 36 and over, those of us who are parents or you have growing kids, I fear um, that my kids will make a life-altering decision or life-altering mistake. It just takes one. Too many drinks at one party to drive and kill somebody. Yeah. I fear my kids making a life altering mis- mistake. In this age group, there was I fear what's going to happen after I retire. I don't have enough retirement. Uh, I fear a broken relationships in a church. One of the guys said, I fear our church is broken beyond repair. And again, I, I don't agree with that. I think, we have a fant- I think we're moving in a great way. I believe Jesus is Lord. This is not about us. This is about the Lord. But I'm saying there are fears that ride in our hearts and our heads. Do those things come out in discipling times? I, I want to encourage you. And we'll have some practicals towards the end. But that's what I'm talking about. Not just the I'm scared to share my faith. I mean, really, in the heart of your heart, what are you fearful of? In the quiet of your mind, what keeps you up at night? What do you fear? Mark chapter 4, if you want to turn over there, we're actually going to read it on the screen if you uh, uh, don't want to do so. But actually, let me go back, because I, I do want to read it in my Bible, which I did not bring up here. Deb, yep, can I have my Bible? Hmm? That's in here. Okay. That should have given you time to get there. Mark chapter 4. I still like paper. Amen. I'm reading in the, uh, uh, the Holman Christian Standard. Most of you have the NIV, so uh, follow along with me. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he, that's Jesus, told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowd. And took him along since he was already in the boat. And other boats were with him. That's going to be significant in just a second. A fierce uh, fierce storm arose. And the waves were breaking over the boat. So much so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. So they woke him. And they said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased, and it was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. One of my favorite stories, because we can all kind of relate if you were in the boat. You know, there's a great storm coming, and Jesus has had an incredible ministry day. Man, I think, I've often uh, fantasized, what would it have been like to walk with Jesus? What did he look like? What was his tenor of his voice when he preached? What was it like? You know, 75% of Jesus' ministry was healing the poor. So there were many days when there were crowds, and just that, that, that energy and the hubbub and Jesus talking. This is the end of one of those ministry days. And he says, man, let's get in the boat. You guys are exhausted. I'm exhausted. Let's go to the other side and get some rest. And so they get into a boat. And that boat was actually, this is a replica, this size. I'll explain this story in just a second. But in this boat, which will take about 12 men at most, you can't get the whole kind of entourage at all. 10 is really probably the safe. That's why when the scripture says there were other boats with them, it's not like this is a seafaring vessel that Jesus went down to the king sized bed, the emperor size that Brian and I were talking about. <laughs> that, water, that water bed, when we were roommates, was ginormous. And you walk in there, that's why we tease about it. You walk in the room, the bed is right there. It dominated everything. So it wasn't like we had other choices. So we did, we never touched. It was fine. It was always Jesus' is Lord. But the point is, Jesus did not go to sleep on this large bed in rest. He literally would have been stuck underneath this little seat. And a storm is, is, is roiling on the water, so much so that water is coming. And you can imagine the boat going back and forth. And they're doing their best, I would guess, to take the water back out. But as much as going out, more seems to be coming in. And they're starting to panic. And they're starting to freak out. And so they wake Jesus. And what's their first thought? We're going to die. And you don't care. You're the Lord. You walk on water. This isn't a big deal to you. And not just, hey, help us. It's, don't you care? Isn't that how sometimes when we approach Jesus, we don't say, help, we say, why don't you care? Lord, my kid is on their spiritual journey. Am I the only one that cares? I went to Kids' Kingdom, I did every family devotional. Now they're a mess, and why? Don't you care? that I'm drowned, Don't you care that I'm hurting? God, don't you care what I'm doing professionally? Don't you care that I feel like I'm in a dead-end job? Don't you care? We don't say that out loud, but in our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in this storm, that's what was in their hearts. Don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus gets up. And I don't know m- how many of you wake up and you're perfectly alert <laughs> and ready to do miracles. I would envision a Jesus, who is exhausted enough to be crawled in a fetal position underneath this little uh, seat and asleep, you know you're tired. And you get someone waking you. Maybe if you're a parent, you heard that, that two o'clock. Wow. Bleh, bleh. <laughs> you're like. That sound that gets you up. This is, you know, how Jesus is awoken from this stupor. And there's guys in his face. Don't you care? Don't you care? We're going to die. It's crazy out here. And I I think it's probably more of a reaction. Shut up, everybody. Stop. Win. (laughs) Now, what do you want? And that's, like, uh, Peter wanted to ask you something. We, uh, we're, we're cool Don't you care? The situation doesn't look as good. This is a, uh, a replica of that boat. It's called the Galilee boat. In 1986, let me go backwards again. This is about two. there were, uh, there were these Jewish brothers. They're still alive and they were amateur archaeologists. And uh, they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And in 1996, that was the end of a three-year drought. The water had dropped a lot into the lake. And they were out fishing and saw something stuck in the mud. Uh, that was, would normally be below a water line. So they, they uh, kind of troll on over there and look at it, and this is what they found. This is the exact thing that they found. Uh, they, they thought, that looks significant. They uh, uh, went to an archaeological organization in Jerusalem. So we found this thing. these things. People came out. They immediately put up the scaffolding, uh, cordoned it off, did some carbon This is an actual boat carbon dated to about 27 AD. So we're not saying this is the boat. But we're saying this was an actual boat. And what the normal practice of fishermen back in the day was that you kept a boat going as long as you could, patching it up, sealing it up. But when it was just beyond repair, you know that car that you just drive to the ground, they would just uh, take everything of of value and they would sink the boat. The wood's no good anymore, the mass has is, is, is been weathered, so they would just sink the boat. And this was one of those that had been sunk, and it was carbon dated about 27 AD. So this is actually on display, and they built a replica from the boat that is on display. So this is a replica, and it is 27 feet long, as you said, seven and a half feet wide. Seven and a half is about from this cord to here. And 27 feet is about from this gentleman to about here. So this is the cordons when this storm is going. If you've ever been in a storm on the ocean, that's what we're talking about. So we can forgive the disciples. It wasn't like, hey, Jesus, you know, it's a little stormy. They are freaking out. Now, the question is, what did Jesus expect them to do? It was that they should not fear. Has anyone seen this picture? This is actually a real picture. So that's a little kitty. That's what should not fear. This is a bunch of dogs at a police academy in Germany, literally. This is German shepherds. They're a police dog, and their very last training is will they resist their natural impulses <laughs> on command? So a police dog has got to be in amazing, in a lot of different situations, in an airport. They can't bite people. They have to smell the right things. And so they have to be very attentive to commands. Will you resist even your deepest impulse? (laughs) And that's where they they line them up and they say, sit. And then who, I don't know how they hire the cat. I don't know how the cat, (laughs)
2: you
1: know, where that cat is. They just let the cat walk. And it would be a bummer because if any of these guys, they just fail the test kitty dies, you know? (laughs) But what was Jesus asking those guys when he says, why do you still fear? Was he asking them not to be afraid? No, I think that's a natural part. This makes sense that you're in this. Was he asking them to not wake him up? (coughs) I'm sleeping. I'm the Lord. Can this not wait? He was asking them, in their situation, to trust him enough to go against their own natural instinct that they should not fear. Deb? Thanks,
2: I get to come up and share because Wade is preaching this lesson to me as well as to everyone else. You know? And um, you know, life is turbulent, wouldn't you say? And I think uh, disappointed dreams, and uh, broken relationships, identity crises, vocational hangups, um, wounds from our past, maybe current wounds. These are really all things that we deal with that can, that can send us crashing to the rocks, right? It's, it's painful at times. And last year in particular was a very hard year for us. Wade and I were in a ministry situation with some dear, dear friends. And mm-hmm. about 25 people left our ministry and decided to form a house church on their own. And we just felt that tearing of relationships. That very close, close, good friends of ours no longer to be, wanted to be with us. It was like a rejection. It was like breaking up with someone twenty-five times over and over yeah, and over. Yeah. It was it was incredibly painful. Um, that led to a lot of self-doubts for us and a lot of insecurity for me. Like, am I good enough? Am I doing this right? What am I doing? I must be a failure. I felt that you know very very real that failure feeling. In addition, our oldest daughter went off to college, which was amazing. But for those of you parents, you know that senior year is a little crazy. You're dealing with scholarship applications, um, just college applications, deadlines, financial aid stuff. That's you're you're way out of your league, and um, and that can be stressful. It was just it was just wave after wave after stress of deadlines. And then on top of that, moms, um, you, you probably understand this, it was a really rocky, rocky relationship with my daughter as well, that she's getting ready to leave, and, and um, we, we just weren't on the best of terms. She felt very much like she knew better and knew wiser, and, and I felt she, she made me feel very insecure, and, and um, I dealt a lot with self-doubt that everything she felt like, um, made me feel like everything I said was stupid or wrong or ugly or dumb, or, you know, it was just that feeling that, that we got. So it was a very painful time. And, okay, on top of that, it was a bad year last year. And so then I'm uh, grieving the loss that she's leaving and, and, you know, she's going off to college. And that's a very real thing, too. Teens, if you didn't know that, your parents really grieve you when, when uh, you leave. And so it's like one day you're like this whole person, and then the next day suddenly your arm is cut off. That's what it feels like, just that part of you is missing. So, so for me, it was a very turbulent Turbulent time, and I wanted to scream out, "God, don't you get it? Don't you hear me? I am in pain. I am really wrestling here." And and this is the scripture. Can we turn to the next scripture? Oh, you want to do it for me? This is the scripture.
1: Is there a scripture?
2: There we go. Okay. Isaiah 41, verse 13, after, after such a turbulent year where I'm screaming out, Don't you care, God? Don't you care about me? This is what the, the scripture that I had to hang on to. Isaiah 41, verse 13, it says, For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. And it was, it was just my mantra over and over. He's taking hold of my right hand. Do not fear. I will help you. And so my my encouragement for you, if you had a year like mine, if you're having a year like mine, you know, moms, do not fear. Uh, High school students going back to school next week, do not fear. It's going to be okay. Those of you facing rejection, do not fear. If you're changing jobs like both of us changed our jobs, do not fear. Um, You know, financial difficulties, do not fear. Singles worrying about your future. Do not fear. And, and just remember this scripture. Uh, the God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. So, amen. amen. Uh, <laughs> put yourself right
1: now in that space, some of which maybe Deb articulated. What do you fear? What bothers you right now? Who bothers you right now? I'm not saying a negative, really. In, in, <laughs> Some of us have that, that, that person or that boss or I am thinking he or she is going to fire me and I don't like that. Put yourself, what is that, what is that thing for you? Maybe there's a health issue or chronic headaches or things that make you fear. Put yourself, put yourself in that space at the moment and journey with me from Isaiah, from Isaiah 41. God's promised that he will help you That I do know. That's what Jesus was communicating to the disciples in their storm, what God has communicated throughout the scriptures and over and over and over and over through a multiple number of situations and relationships. Do not fear. I'm with you. I know. I care. I'm God. Nothing happens without my understanding. Trust me. Wait on me. How can we put that into practical? Write down your fears either now or over the next seven days. Write down what is it you fear. Personal journal. If you journal, maybe you already have them there. If not, write them down. There's, very, there's something very different from just, oh, yeah, I think I'm a little, no. What, what, are you, what, are you, what are you wrestling with a little bit? Maybe it's what you're praying about or what you should be praying about. Write down your fears. Consider these passages in addition to Isaiah 48. There are so many places where, again, God says essentially the same thing. I'm with you. I got it. Not like it's not a big deal, but eyes appear. I got you. I am the Lord. The question I ask is, do you believe that? I'll ask you to read these scriptures. Some of you will. Some of you won't. Some of you already know these scriptures. Do you believe them when you read them? Do do you, this isn't a call and response. I want to ask in your heart a second time because it's the second time that we got, do you really believe them? Not just want them to be true. Not just believe that they're scripture, so there must be a rightness. Do they change your behavior? Do they bring peace? We have a very good friend, Will Leonard, most of you don't know Will at all, but Will said one thing to me that I'll never forget. I was asked, we were talking about quiet times, so he said, I have a quiet time until I'm through. I go, what do you mean by that? Sometimes, man, I'm ready to go, I'm in it, I'm five, ten minutes, scripture, I'm ready to go. Sometimes it takes me an hour. I'm just wrestling, and so I have a quiet time until here, here, I'm ready to go, until the scriptures have overcome me. That's what I'm asking. Do you believe? Consider these passages. This week, I want to ask all of us practically to fast from fear. So what do you do when you have a fast, right? Most of us will go without food. And when you get hungry, you're reminded of what it is that you are focusing on. So any place that you would put food, you put prayer. And, and you, you think about it. You put meditation. You put scripture. And that's kind of what an active fast is. It's not just starving yourself, but it's to engage your body, your mind, your soul around that issue. I want you to do the same thing with fear. Each time I fear, pray. Each time that thought comes up, stop. Meditate on scripture. Okay, no. In just the seven days. You can begin being freak out in eight days. <laughs> but imagine what your week will be like. And I'm asking you to really sincerely, just take seven days to fast from fear. Each time that thing comes up with that feeling, replace it with, fear, with prayer. And initiate a conversation about God with two people that you would not ordinarily talk to about God. Maybe that's someone in this room. Maybe it's a non-Christian. But to verbalize this process is what's going to make it more real and palpable. So to share, have a discipling time. I assume you're still doing that. That we're getting together. And so if I, could ask, how's the, if I can ask your D-Times this week or on the phone or midweek or at Bible Talk, hey, how's your fast going? Have you totally fasted from fear? Have you spent three days fearless? No? Well, t- let's talk about it. And this isn't a get on each other. It's let's make this practical. Yeah. Let's do this thing. One of the greatest opportunities that we have is reflected in this story. And we're going to take communion. Again, sir, does anyone know this guy? Jerzy Bielecki, he is, uh, I think he just passed away a, a bit ago, but he was 19 years old in 1940. And uh, he was uh, suspected by the SS of being a, a, a part of the Polish underground. He was arrested and uh, taken to Auschwitz concentration camp. He uh, happened to not be Jewish, and he happened to speak German. So as such, although he was a prisoner, he had uh, a little more access around the camp. In 1943, this gal right here, that's him, uh, after this event that I'm about to tell you about, this gal, was uh, her her mom, her dad, her brother, her sister, and herself were all Jewish uh, that were taken to Auschwitz. And over the course of a year, her mom, her dad, her brother, and her sister were all killed in the gas chamber. And uh, after a little bit when she had gotten there, when the family was still alive, uh, Jersey there said that uh, he was working uh, kind of soldier like uh, prisoner administration uh, over this group and she came in. He said, I swore she winked at me, but there's this really beautiful brunette who uh, winked at me and she's a a prisoner. And he said because they worked together in in the bakery, they got little snatches of conversation but they fell in love. And over the course of the years, her mom, her dad, her brother, and her sister were killed, he got this idea, we're breaking out of this place. I love her, and I just will never live with myself if I don't give us a chance. So he had uh, access to the administrative offices, and over the course of about six months, stole an entire U- uh, SS uniform, a, um, a transfer paper, and an actual transfer notice that he took with pencil and changed the name of the listing guard. He told her that uh, uh, in this is going to be the next day. This is July twenty-first, nineteen forty-four, and I am going. An SS guard is going to come in and take you for interrogation. The guard's going to be me. Just go. So July twenty-first, he uh, he's hidden his SS uniform, put it on, shaved marches boldly into this bakery and says, that woman right there is supposed to be uh, uh, interrogated at the police station. Here's a transfer form. Let's go. The guards there were like, uh, okay. And they, they let him take her. He says, then they walked to the east gate where there was a sleepy SS guard. He said the whole time he's just sweating. And they walked to the guard and he just boldly, says, here are the papers. I'm taking this woman for interrogation of the police. And he said the guard looked at him, the paper, the hymn. Like, okay, thank you. And they just walked out. One of eight people to ever escape Auschwitz. And he said, the whole time they're walking up the road, she's stiff. And he said, I could feel the pain in my back where a bullet is going to come through. Because someone is going to figure out along the way. But we can't walk too fast. We can't start running. So they just walk stiffly up the road, around the bend, and then jump into the bushes. And they escaped. And they went for another couple of months through the forest until they got to uh, the French resistance. A couple of months. Love will walk you out of anything. Being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone deeply gives you courage. This quote was by this uh, this Chinese philosopher, but this is the spirit of what Christ did for us. Christ not only cares, he deeply loves you. He walked into the concentration camp of our sin. He was, when he was incarnated, became a prisoner with us. He got into our skin and lived in our skin as a fellow prisoner without ever having done any of the crime nor participating in any way that brought us into our concentration camp of sin. And he took responsibility and put his life on the line for us and walked us out of our sin through the cross. And unlike Jersey, where he didn't get a bullet in the back, Christ did. Christ did take the punishment That was due us on himself. He walked us out into the light. That's what we honor when we take communion. And I appreciate Christ dealing with his fear in the Garden of Gethsemane. And replacing that fear with trust. Wrestling with God. Wrestling in a sense with himself, with his father. To say, I will not fear, I will trust your plan." I will trust God that you have decided to kill me instead of them for them. And I will do it willingly because I love them. And that's being deeply loved. Christ did it for us. You are free. If you are a baptized disciple, you're free. If you are not or you're studying the Bible, I want to urge you to consider carefully how much Christ loves you. How important it is these scriptures that you're reading are. How clear salvation is and what awaits you in the end of making a decision for Christ. Wherever you may be spiritually, emotionally, I don't know. But do not fear. As we take communion, let's remember, he, got, he walked us out. Amen. He walked in where we should be and he walked out do not fear let's pray as we take communion Father thank you so much we're inspired by stories like Jersey and many others but Father there is no greater story of love and compassion and self-sacrifice than what you've done for us and not just for us collectively Father we understand that but what you've done for us in your heart of hearts personally As we sit in these chairs, as we drive home, Father, I I pray you'd help us understand how much we're loved and how much you have done to free us and that we are free. And the temporary challenges in our lives, Father, are, and they're they're, they're not small, God. We're not condescending to them, but help us in those moments to trust you more than we trust and see our circumstance. Help us be like Peter who did step out on the water. Help us to be like the disciples who woke you and recognize if you're in the boat with us, there is nothing to fear. Help us, Father, to to, to know that and embrace that. And as the communion trays, the elements of your body and your blood that were sacrificed for us as they pass, help us to put in mind, maybe in a more deep way than we ever have, you're for us, you're with us, you've protected us, you've drawn us out, you've saved us, we are free. Father, help us to live free. We love you. In your son's name, we want to commit our time and our thoughts right now. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.